This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am super excited today. I have with me Taryn Strong, and I met Taryn actually through her mother, Dawn Nickel, and their incredible organization, She Recovers, and like just have been seriously in awe of you and love your presence, your Instagram feed, all the stuff you put into the world, and so I'm really excited to have you. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much to be here. It's such an honor, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm nervous because I, you're just, you've been such a um, You've been such an inspiration and so instrumental in my recovery that it's just surreal to be here right now. So thank you. Oh, that's so awesome. So yeah, let's talk about it. I'd love you to just bring me sort of back to the beginning in, in your story and just really hear kind of where it all began for, for you. Yeah, absolutely. So where it all began, as you already mentioned, the wonderful Mama Dawn. So my mom is Dawn Nickel, uh, founder of She Recovers. And um, she... I guess a lot of you who know her would know now that she's a woman who's in long-term recovery. She entered recovery when I was four and my sister was eight. And her path of recovery at that time was, and still is, um, a 12-step program. So I always share because it's true and I feel so lucky that this is my experience, that some of my earliest memories are 12-step meetings, sitting in those rooms, very smoky rooms back then, and um, listening to people, not knowing what they were talking about, but just being four years old and sitting there and knowing that I was sitting in a room of really cool people, people who were the real deal. That always stuck with me. And then growing up, we would always attend um, 12-step campouts and my parents were very, very involved in that community. That's so Um, cool. I remember that um, I've heard it, I forget who said it, it might have been Glennon Doyle, who said she first walked into her first 12-step meeting and she's like, oh my gosh, it's a place where people are telling the truth. And it was like, we're, we're hiding from everything and everyone everywhere else. And she just walked into that room and people were telling the truth. And it's just such a beautiful thing. It's so, I have goosebumps right now. Cause yeah, it's, it's the truth tellers that I was surrounded by. And I feel that on retreat or anytime I'm with anybody in recovery, there's no small talk. We get right down into the truth and the vulnerabilities and we talk, we get into our like childhood traumas and wounds. And um, I think it's so beautiful. That's so, amazing. Yeah, Especially as a child, I'd say, because when you're in there, like just the energy and the innocence as a child to like, be able to sense, you know, the purity and energy of that level of connection, um, which we put up so many barriers and walls, human to human, all these things that you're supposed to think these things I'm hiding from you. And then when you strip all that away and like as a child to be able to like witness and, and be in that, that's, that's really cool. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Oh, and to add on to that, no, don't apologize. You jump in whenever. Um, I also realize how lucky I am that I, I got to witness my mom who was demonstrating and showcasing putting her recovery first kind of in a way, right? Like I know so many people in recovery think that they're being selfish by going to meetings, going on retreats, hitting courses, whatever it is, they feel guilty. Like, Ooh, I shouldn't be doing this. And so for me, I had this mother modeling cause she would, she heard those 12 step meetings were her priority. So if she couldn't find childcare, guess what kids you're coming with me. And I think that that's, 
that's a really unique and powerful experience that I got to have as well, which I'm really grateful for. Um, I, let, let me tell you what, I'm very good at self-care. I do not have a problem with self-care. I'm really good at it. And I, I think that's a part of it. I was modeled that. Um, the first time I, so growing up, I was, you know, very good at school. I loved school, honor roll student. I was a pianist in the Royal Conservatory of Music, as well as a competitive Irish dancer. So I was very, I had a very full schedule and I loved it. I didn't want it any other way. There was no pressure coming from anyone else except myself to do these things and to be the best at them. So I did always have, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself with, with the competitive dancing. And at the age of 12, actually it was the day before my 13th birthday, I tried drinking for the first time. And what happened the first time I drank were, were a few things obviously, but one of the things was all of a sudden, for a very short amount of time, I had this confidence that I had never experienced before. And it was this confidence that I was always wanting to have when I was dancing or playing piano. It was kind of this like fearless confidence that alcohol, I thought I was under the impression was giving me. But then of course, very quickly, this 12 year old, almost 13 year old's body couldn't handle it. And I got really, really ill. I was, you know, strategic in that because I had parents in recovery, I always knew that they would know, they would, they would know right away if I was smoking or smoking pot or drinking. So whenever I would drink or engage in any of those substances, I was all, I would always make sure I would sleep at a friend's house. So I was very strategic. So that evening, yes, first time I drank, liked it, liked the feeling it gave me, slept at a friend's house so my parents wouldn't know. But then over time, you know, trying to continue to recreate that feeling of that false sense of confidence. And for the next few years, so I guess 12 to six, 13, pardon me, 13 to 16 was the, you know, occasional binge drink, drinking and smoking cigarettes and smoking pot and thinking to myself, I wasn't good at it. Like <laughs> I, I, because when, as soon as that substance would get in my body, I didn't have that off switch, so I would just hit it too hard, you know, binge really hard and get really, really ill. And in my mind, I always had this really glamorous dream of what it looked like. I guess I should backtrack a little bit. My parents were, um, they, they were, they were drug dealers. So I had this, and, I, and it was not what I thought it was at all, but for, I had this glamorous image in my mind. So I kept thinking in those three years, this isn't glamorous, what, what am I doing wrong? And then I realized, oh, Taryn, you're using the wrong substance. So when I was 16, I got my driver's license. I lived in a very small town in Alberta, Canada. And when I was 16 and I got my driver's license, no, none of my friends were engaging in, in um, the drug that I, cocaine, I'll say it, in cocaine. Always in my mind, I was curious about it. I knew I wanted to try it. So 16 year old Taryn, gets her driver's license, doesn't know anybody doing it or dealing it. And I couldn't even tell you how, but somehow I, I drove to Edmonton, Alberta, the next city over, and I found it and I did it. And instantly, again, I had that false sense of confidence and I, um, but it gave me energy and it did all the things that I was hoping the other substances were gonna do for me, but they weren't. So I, and I started doing it daily. Um, and what I was, you know, the love affair I was having with it was that it was giving me energy. I'm using quotes. If you can't see me air quotes, 
It was suppressing my appetite, so I was losing weight, which was really ideal for a competitive dancer. And again, it just gave me this, this confidence, that I, this false confidence. I, um, at age, so I stopped going to work though. And then I kind of stopped going to school. Like I was just skipping classes. I was, you know, it, I, was I was literally doing it all day, every day. I started, some of my close friends started doing, starting doing it with me as well. Pardon me, my, my female friends. And um, I then came to a point where I started dating the 17 year old drug dealer. He was, he was dealing crack cocaine. And um, as you can imagine, things got very, very scary very quickly. And um, because I lived in a small town, my mom, my parents found out. Um, they actually, my mom found out in the grocery store, the cashier of the, she was going through the grocery line. The cashier said, Hey Don, did you know your, your daughter's dating a like, crack dealer and doing a lot of drugs? And and I was a really good liar. So my mom, they, they didn't know. Um, the, the school counselor who had actually pulled me into the office at one point because he had heard this rumor, which wasn't really a rumor, told my mom that I gave him an Oscar worthy performance when he asked me, is this true? Is this going on? I convinced him that it wasn't. So my parents had no idea. I, I was busy. They didn't know. So when they found out, as you can imagine, they were devastated and um, they, they really, there were, there were consequences that I wasn't following and the consequences were, you know, you're, you're, you're grounded. So back then grounding meant I wasn't allowed to leave the house. I wasn't allowed to go on the computer, which was like an actual keyboard computer or be on the phone or anything. So what I did was I ran away to go live with the 16 year old drug dealer boyfriend um that brought me to my bottom very quickly which i'm really grateful for and the bottom that i had so meanwhile my parents they had their recovery and they had their recovery community and they were able to stay present and clear and what i am so thankful for is they they never shamed me they never i always knew i was in trouble but i always knew they loved me unconditional and unconditionally and I always knew that no matter what I could go home I knew that when I went home I was going to be in trouble and it wasn't just you know they weren't going to we weren't going to pretend whatever just happened didn't happen but I'm off doing my thing knowing that I can go home which ended up saving my life because I had a moment in an in a hotel room if we were living in a very dodgy hotel room in Edmonton Alberta and uh, my boyfriend at the time at this point is, I, I call them the wannabe gangsters. They were these, these young kids, 16 to 17, just starting to get into the drug dealing world, starting to get into guns, starting to try to be gangsters. And one of their friends, an older gentleman had mentioned, he was in the hotel room, had mentioned that he had connections to the gentleman's club, which was a strip club, and that he could get me a job there even though I was underage. And my boyfriend at the time agreed with him and thought that was a good idea. So that was my moment. That's when I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? I'm going to die. I can't, this, I can't, this, I can't do this. So I, I don't know how. I really, to this day, I've asked people and I, I don't know how I got home, but somehow I got home. And yeah, when I got home, that's when everything changed, of course. Like I said, there were consequences, but my parents got me right into therapy. I had two therapists. I was going to 12-step meetings. Um, 
And that was my, oh, and then I, I wasn't allowed to finish high school with my, no, sorry, grade 11. I had to finish grade 11 through kind of homeschooled correspondence. And the deal was I kept getting drug tested. If I kept passing my drug test, I could finish grade 12 at my high school with my friends. So I did that. So I was actually, um, you know, sober for a few years. And I never, I, I stopped going, I got back into dance, started playing the piano again. I, ne I never identified at that point in my life as being in recovery. I was, you know, that weird 17 year old girl who wasn't like drinking at grad. I was the sober one at grad. And I just, yeah, I didn't, for me, I didn't identify as being. In, in so with the alcohol, yeah. you know, was it, I mean, I would imagine, and I don't know because I haven't been through this with my own kids yet, but I would imagine like if your kid gets in trouble for drugs, unless you are in recovery, like your parents were, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily say, well, don't drink. You would just be really like, you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like in our society, it would be like, like I remember friends of, we definitely had the wannabe gangsters at our school and stuff. And I remember people getting in trouble for drugs and then they were in trouble for drugs, but it wasn't necessarily that there was, I mean, I guess you're still underage, but not in Canada. You're not underage. In Canada, 18 and 19, depending which province you're in is the drinking age. But that's a good point. I guess for me in my family, my parents were members of Narcotics Anonymous. So drinking was considered a drug in our, is, is still um, considered a drug in our household. So it was, yeah, I was, there was no, there was nothing, no substances allowed. And so for you at that time, like not drinking at graduation, for example, yeah. were you going into that graduation feeling like, okay, this is my choice because that sucked and I don't want to be there anymore. Or were you going into it feeling like, okay, this is my parents' choice because I still want to be at home. That was, it was my choice at that point. Yeah, it, it was my choice. I got, I was so scared by that, by the, by what I had experienced. And, you know, just so in, I think I was in shock more than anybody that, how did that happen? How did I get there? I mean, now, you know, doing lots of therapy, I, I know now why, but for now, but I was just so devastated like if that could happen to me so quickly it could happen again at any point so it was me it was coming from me and just being um scared myself enough to to not want to play around with that slippery slope yeah um so then at age 20 actually the the day of my 20th birthday mom had to go in for an emergency surgery she was within an hour of her death she had um, a blockage in her colon that was about to explode. So they had to do surgery and they discovered that the blockage was, it was actually a tumor, a cancerous tumor that was causing the block. So she um, got diagnosed, she was 45, very young for it with colon cancer. And we, we didn't think she was gonna make it. We weren't given um, much hope from the doctors and what she decided to do was something really experiential because they kind of said, this is kind of, you're only, this is the best case scenario. We haven't really tried it before, but do you want to try it? So she did. So looking back on it, I know now, but at the time I didn't realize that's when I started drinking again, really heavily. My sister and I would, became drinking buddies. My sister and I started like binge drinking um, every weekend. And a lot of times during the week as well, we, we moved in together. And you know, now I look back and I just see these two girls who were just terrified that they were going to lose their mom. And this is how they were coping. At the same time, I see these two girls who were 20 and 24. 
just doing what they thought was normal because that's what you do when you're in your 20s. You you just binge drink on the weekends and it's acceptable and and you just make an ass out of yourself and you laugh about it the next day and you you know you of course you puke every time you drink because you know, that's just what happens. So we just we were caught in that that lie. So that went on for a few years. Mom, as you all, you know, spoiler alert, as you know, mom cancer free. She totally kicked cancer's ass and has been cancer free for a long time, 11 or 12 years now. And um, I, after, at that same time-ish, um, started, discovered yoga, fell in love with yoga. And then I also fell in love with, with somebody. So I, again, I stopped using substances, but I didn't ever identify as being in recovery. I just, I just stopped. I was able to just stop. That lifestyle wasn't jiving with my new lifestyle because going to yoga hungover sucked. And also I was wanting to focus on this new passion of mine and build a career around yoga and yoga for recovery. And at the same time we started She Recovers. So you're not, not using, when people had asked me if I was in recovery, I would say, oh, when I was 16, I, I, you know, I had this experience, but now I'm in recovery from codependency and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's what I would say, because that's what I thought, that was my experience. And then in 2014, I'm almost at the end, so I'm sorry, I know I'm rambling. In 2014, um, my marriage ended. And it, 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 was, it was a marriage that shouldn't have happened. We only knew each other for a few months before getting engaged, and then we, we were married for a year, and that was too long. So when the marriage ended, I was ashamed. I was so embarrassed and ashamed because, I, again, I was like, how did I do that? Like, I, I knew I didn't want to marry him. Why did I do that? But I kind of so I put that pressure on myself that that's what you do in your mid-20s is you get married. And I, all my friends were getting the husbands and the kids and the houses. And I thought, I guess I should do it too, even though it wasn't my truth. So after the marriage ended, I was full of a lot of shame. I felt like I disappointed my family, even though they were super supportive. I, I let down his family. So now I find myself in my mid-20s, single, living by myself for the first time in my life. And um, this is when I discovered Tinder, the dating app Tinder. So I thought, well, I'm a single girl now. I guess this is what I do. So I started um, dating. And with dating, I was so nervous to be dating. I, of course, I would have to have drinks before and during the date, which would then end up in me. All my dates were quite messy, to be honest. Um, again, just drinking with my single girlfriends, going out drinking, because that's what you do. That's how, you, that's how you do it. And also, um, one of the guys I dated um, connect, had cocaine. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I was drunk, so I didn't have that filter. Thought, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen happened. And I, um, you know, had, you know, I'm, I'm an addict. So I, it had that effect. And I then, again, went down that really slippery slope. So keep in mind now, I have, she, I'm She Recovers, I'm doing this business called She Recovers with my mother, I'm teaching yoga for recovery, and on the weekends, and again, sometimes in the week nights, I am binging for days. I, I get on retreats, and whenever people would ask me what I was in recovery from, then I would tell them, well, I'm a normie, because, I, yeah, I do use substances, but my, I'm totally normal, because I convinced myself that I was normal, because I wasn't drinking every day or, or using every day. I was, um, I was able to stop, because um, I, I would set myself up these rules where 
no partying when you teach the next day. And when you have a retreat coming up, you have to like not party for a few weeks before. So those are my rules and I was able to follow them, but like, come on, like, it's just so fun. It's crazy. It's insanity for me to reflect on. And then, um, three years ago, I finally got honest with myself. It was actually a boyfriend at the time who was like, you, you need to talk to your mom. You've got a really big problem and she needs to know that she's got this, this is going on and you have a business name. She recovers it. And she didn't know again because I would hide from my family. I was really good at pretending I was too busy. Sorry. Can't see you. Can't talk to you. And they just respected that because I was working full time as well. Blah, blah, blah. So I finally, um, I had that moment where at first I was super insulted that he would say that, but then I realized the reason I was so insulted is because he was so right. I had a problem. I couldn't, I couldn't stop, stop fully. I wasn't in alignment. I hated myself. There was, I had so much shame for living this, what I was feeling because it was a double life. And um, so I actually call it my coming out. I came out on retreat at one of our retreats in a sharing circle I said I need to tell I need to get this off my chest I need help this is what's been going on and I was frightened that you know the women were going to throw rocks at me and you know what I want but of course it was the best thing I ever did they were also supportive and understanding and it's the women three years later it's the women that have got me to where I am now so that's the story Oh, that's so cool. That's so beautiful. What a cool thing. I think, I mean, so many things in there. I think that obviously, you know, it makes your connection with all of those women so much more real. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting. I I have met, um, it's very interesting. I've met people who do have like recovery counseling or recovery businesses and they're, they're trained in it but they still drink. And I think that it's not, not that I don't know how I feel about it necessarily. I haven't really thought about it before this moment in this much detail, but I do find it interesting because I, I have always had a very different opinion of this idea of like normie. I hadn't even heard that until a year after I read the book. I was like, Oh, that's a term. Because for me in my journey, it was very clear that like, I was like everybody else. I was exactly like everybody else I was hanging out with and we were all doing the same thing. And by the way, any of us, if we probably would have walked into an AA meeting and told our stories, we would have probably been told, oh, but you're not, you're not a real alcoholic. And that's definitely the criticism I sort of get sometimes is, but you're not a real alcoholic. So, um, and, and I've always been like, well, what, what is a real alcoholic? Like, where is this, this line and what does that mean? And, it's interesting that in your experience, that idea um, really kept you stuck, right? Like that idea of there must be, like if I don't fit this, if I don't fit the every single day thing, if I don't fit the I'm not keeping it together thing, if I don't fit these criteria, which are totally haphazard and made up in perception anyway, then I'm not the one who needs help, which is so it's just a really clear example of how that concept that if we separate us, like instead of saying as human beings who are made up of, I always say this, blood, flesh, bone, cellular tissue, and if we are exposed to an addictive substance, we have the potential to become addicted depending on the level of exposure, the circumstances, but it's, we're not 
there's not, it's not normal to not be like, it's very abnormal to, you know, like not become addicted if you're, you're having um, drinking or drugs over a period of time. And especially if you're doing it to numb things like pain from your mother's cancer or divorce and, and things like that. I mean, it's, it's not only abnormal, it's, it's really unlikely and scientifically and medically unlikely. And so this whole idea, I think it's just fascinating to me how that idea, um, you know, did everybody's journey and path are so profound and beautiful, but it did seem to cause harm in your life. Well, and thanks for bringing that up. And that is, it is such a big part of my story because what I was doing was because remember, I grew up in a 12 step home. So I grew up going to meetings. And as well, when I was 16, I was going to meetings. So I grew up with this idea in my mind that unless you hit this rock bottom, which includes losing your house, losing your job, losing your car, um, you know, the rock bottoms that I was learning or seeing and hearing growing up, it was just so embedded in my mind. So yeah, when I was in that process of, am I a normie? Do I have a problem? I, that's exactly what I would do is I would compare myself to, and I would dabble in meetings during this time. I would go to a meeting and be like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm not as bad as them. And then I, that's how I, I would justify it to myself is no, I'm not, I'm not even close to a jail institution or death. I'm fine. I had no, um, I mean, I knew the concept of the spectrum of addiction and alcoholism, but I just didn't think that it applied to me. So one of our intentions and our like main guiding principles is that we don't have to hit rock bottom to hit intervent to enter recovery in any area of our lives. And that is just so close to my heart and my journey because yeah, sure. I could have, I was doing what everyone else was doing like you were doing too, but only for a certain amount of time that, that, that some of us, it happens quickly. Sometimes it's slower. It's, but it, eventually we're all headed the same place when we're in that path. I don't think there's a such thing as normalized normies or normalized either. Again, that's something that I learned in a, in a 12 step program. I have nothing but love and respect for 12 step programs. I'm personally not, not in one, but those were um, ideas that I was presented as a child. And that's what I thought to be the truth until I was an adult woman and thought, no, nah, I don't think that that works for me actually. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it was really, it's amazing to be able to let this stuff go and make different choices without with seeing where you're going, but without actually going there, you know, come into station or run off the rails. And so that's just such a gift. I'm very thankful for that in my own life because back like, oh, there was no doubt where it was headed. You know, it was headed to dawn till dusk, drinking and all sorts of nasty places. But I'm very thankful that I was able to like get off before it went there and before I did cause, you know, untold harm to the people I love the most. And so I think that's, that's such a beautiful tenant from, from the She Recovers movement and one that I really, really just love and appreciate. Um, so in that moment where you sort of shared with your sharing circle, was it really then the, the accountability and the decision and, and it was just kind of like, that's it, like you, you just made this very clear decision or? Yeah. I realized that the decision that needed to be made was that I needed to be, I was living this kind of double life because all of, you know, the friend, my, my friends who 
love me dearly and I love them dearly, who knew what was going on, I would ask them and say, hey, do you think this is okay that I do this? And I was only asking the people who I knew would give me the answer I wanted. So I realized, okay, if I'm actually gonna, if this is gonna, if for me to actually be able to, to quit and to be accountable, I need to be talking to the people in, you know, who have actually experienced what I experienced and get it in, in a different way. So that sharing circle moment was, yeah, it was to be accountable. It was me wanting to stop pretending that I had my shit together and to stop um, and to, I kind of had this idea as well that because I was this facilitator of these retreats and whatnot, that I had to have my shit together and that, that wasn't working and it wasn't, it's never true. We're never gonna have our shit together. But um, I just realized that I needed support. I needed, I needed the women to, to help me. And, and I knew, because I just, we all know that women supporting women is, that's, that's the medicine. That's, there's so much potency in that. So I needed to receive. And that was, that was, it was hard for me. You know, it was hard mm -hmm. for me to be truthful and vulnerable because I was so ashamed, but knew that that's what I needed, not only for accountable, accountability, pardon me, but because I needed support. That's so awesome. Well, will you tell everybody a little bit more about She Recovers? Because it's just such, a, it's such an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah, thank you. So She Recovers is, it began as a passion project of my mother and I seven years ago now, 2019. Yeah, so seven years ago. And the intention was it was just going to be a Facebook page. And mom, she had a blog called Recovering Blog. And then one of the things, many things she's in recovery from is workaholism. So she realized that blogging every day and working full time was actually fueling her workaholism. So decided to switch over to Facebook. And the Facebook page was just posting. It's when memes had just become like a thing. So posting inspirational recovery related memes, sharing resources, and it quickly and really organically grew and started getting a following, which we thought was just the weirdest thing. But realizing wow women are really resonating with with the messages here um at the same time around the same time i had also just finished my yoga for recovery a few yoga for recovery trainings because i always knew that's the path i wanted to take so we had a bucket list item to teach uh, to host a yoga retreat so we were just going to do one like just let's have one yoga retreat that'll be fun and then you know call it a day because we still had full-time jobs and it was just our fun passion project that yoga retreat we did in Mexico with 20 women, it was so transformative, it was so powerful. Just, you know, the women needed to connect. That's what it's all about is the connection, connecting with their body and with each other. And, and it was so transforming that at the, the last day of the retreat, about half of the women handed us checks and said, this is for next year. And we laughed and said, oh no, no, we're not doing it next year. This, this, was, this was it. And then, you know, we realized, oh, oh my gosh, okay, I guess we're doing this again. So now She Recovers has evolved into, um, you know, our intention is to connect, support, and empower women online and in person. So online, you know, thank goodness for social media. We have our Facebook page and the Instagrams and the, and the groups and it's just such a beautiful community of women supporting each other that way. And then we also have created um, different types of events and workshops and retreats, et cetera, so that the women can connect, support, and empower each other in person. 
Um, we have a coach program. We, we teamed up with an amazing recovery coach association and women can now become she recovers yoga coaches and I've just launched, I launched in the summer online yoga for recovery classes. And then I just launched my first inaugural, she recovers yoga teacher training program. So women who are yoga instructors can take this program to have more of the, um, it's going to be very focused on trauma informed yoga and in that style of teaching. So we, we started our nonprofit. We're starting sharing circles with our coaches all over the world as well as meetups with volunteers all over the world. And yeah, we just want to help, help women find each other so that they can support each other in their recovery. That's so awesome. I absolutely love that. Um, so if people want to know more, where, they, where can they find out more? Yeah, so sherecovers.co is our website, as well as the name of the Facebook page is She Recovers. You can find me super easily, Taryn Strong on Instagram. Um, and feel free if you ever, if you have any questions, if you ever need to reach out, I'm always honored when somebody reaches out. So if there's something I've said that you're, you're wondering, you want more clarification around, or you're just, you're just needing some support, always honored. So feel free to reach out. You can find my email address on the website. So anytime, let me know. So I always ask this at the end of the podcast, but Taryn, what would you, what would you tell yourself, the self that was, you know, doing this work, but deeply conflicted and feeling normal, but part of you not knowing that it probably was so normal? Like, what would you tell yourself about what life is like now? Oh, I would tell myself to trust myself, to trust mm -hmm. that voice and to not question it. And I would also tell myself, don't worry, because they're like, you are worth it. And you're worth all the things that you don't think you are. And one day there's this, there's going to be this day and you're just going to wake up and you are going to, there's not going to be one lie living in your body. And that's going to create a freedom that you never knew was possible. It's so freeing and being in alignment and being truthful and living your truth. There is, there's nothing more, more beautiful than that. Um, in my opinion, is it hard? Yeah, of course it's not this, you know, recovery journey isn't easy, but it is absolutely worth all of it every single moment. I wouldn't change any of it. And I wouldn't change any of the experience that I had either. I wouldn't trade in the shame that I felt or any of it. I, I would do it all over again to be exactly where I am in this moment for sure. Oh, that's so cool. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Taryn. It's just been such an honor. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Annie. Our, my pleasure, our honor. We love you so much, like I said. So great to be here. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.